Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. Nick Cabuto is a four-time CEO, founder, Fortune 500 consultant, private equity investor, keynote speaker, and global business leader who is dedicated to seeing people succeed with an intuitive approach to business, growth, and personal transformation. Nick, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much, man. I'm excited to be here. So really appreciate it as well. Thanks for having me. So listen, before we get into, you know, your experience with deals and this, I know you have the seven step process, you know, for personal brands. And one of them is is right on the mark on on deal stuff and, you know, and, and all the other stuff we're going to talk about. I want to take you back to when you were a little kid growing up, maybe 8, 10, 12 years old. What did you want to be? Because I guess we had them, but we didn't call them personal brands back then, did we? Did, we even, did you even know what a personal brand was? No. Did you the, know what a CEO, the, the, uh, you know, a Fortune 500 company was? I don't know. What did you the want term to wasn't coined yet, I don't <laughs> think. But my dad was a fourth generation entrepreneur. My grandfather, of course, was a third generation entrepreneur. So, you know, there was this part of being a businessman that was always attractive, but I'll be honest with you, man, it was kind of the default backup plan. It's like, uh-huh. I knew I was good at sounds when I was about 12 years old. We had a an opportunity with our school of where we were doing a fundraiser. And they're like, hey, we're going to go around and sell these $20 candles to people in the neighborhood. And I just went and I just kept going until I felt like I should stop. And I sold 82 in a weekend. The next closest person sold like 15. So <laughs> at that point, they're like, wait, 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 what, what? And I'm like, I just thought that was normal to overperform in that way. And it was a it was a really fun game. I loved it. And so that was one of the early wins that I had. But dude, ultimately what I wanted to do when I was 12 was I wanted to be in the NBA. So uh, that was not gonna happen <laughs> for an average height dude like Yeah, I was about to say, where, where did you tap out on the height on the height scale? <laughs> totally, man. Yeah. And you know, and it's all good. I ended up, you know, playing sports there further on, like in the college and stuff, but it was just one of those things, man. I remember when I was 12, I was like, I'd love to be in the NBA. And I think by the time I was 13, I was like, but that's not going to happen, but I'm really good at sounds. So. <laughs> I love it. Hey, listen, and neither you nor I are, the, are you know, Muggsy Bogues or whatever. You totally. Know, <laughs> we can't be, we can't be short and, and still dunk, right? That's um, true. <laughs> I love it. One other question, looking back, what was your first deal of any type? It could be something, you know, when you were younger as a kid or early in your career, anything you consider a deal. Yeah, you know, I think negotiating with my father to be able to go hang out with my friends was probably one of them. <laughs> it was the first time that I learned about objection because I would go to my dad and I would start talking about something. I must have had a rhythmic tone or I must have had a, a way to try to ease him into the cell. And he would go, here he goes. He's trying to sell me something. But the funny thing is he always bought. So uh, I'm going to go back to that and say that was the first deal was, yeah, probably convincing my dad to like let me go hang out with my buddies when I was... That was in high school or, you know, late middle school. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we were going to hang out with girls. It, it, was, it was not just going to hang out with the boys, not at all. Of course. 
<laughs> I love it. So listen, you you got a, such an interesting background. I mean, we, you know, we read some of it in the bio, you know, it, with companies and private equity. And, and then, you know, there's also this personal growth side of things. And then, and then you got the, you know, the personal branding. So before we delve right into the stuff that's really applicable to deals, just give people a little more overall, uh, like on the scope of, uh, you know, of, of, of what you're doing now and, you know, and everything, who the people you serve and that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, when a lot of people ask me, so, hey, Nick, what do you do? A lot of times, and this is what I've learned through a lot of deeper understanding about myself as a human being, that question translates in, in my mind to, Nick, what do you see? Mm. Because I'm a seer. Uh, I'm an advisor. I'm a watchman. You know, I'm an opportunist, right? So, like, I see the caution. I also see the opportunity. I also really deeply think outside the box. So, and I, and I mean that in the most specific way. In fact, I remember taking a culture index at one of the corporate companies I was working with. And the, the last line of the whole thing was to Nick, it's not that he sees outside the box. There isn't one. Yes. So to be a creative thinker and a creative problem solver, especially going into businesses, I don't have the emotional, energetic, or even strategic viewpoint on their company of all the pain that they've gone through and all the challenges and like, well, we can't fire Larry because he's been here for 47 years and he was Bob, the founder's cousin. I don't see any of it. All I see is where the opportunity lies and the best, shortest path to get there. And so that's what I do in a lot of companies. And it doesn't matter if it was with Fortune 500 companies. I managed over $2 billion worth of products when I was 28 years old. I don't know who gave me that job, but I celebrate <laughs> them as much as I like celebrate the courage they had to like do it scared. They must have really needed someone who they believed could, could handle it. And in addition, I mean, you know, I had to fight for marketing dollars early on in my career while I was transitioning from, you know, over the air television or on radio, studying, you know, hundreds, tens of uh, thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars a month and say, hey, let's go try this social media thing, you know? So I've been, you know, a classic disruptor in business. And some people don't really jam with that term because they don't want disruption in their company. They don't like change. People don't like change naturally. So yeah. the kind way that I say that is <laughs> seriously that I'm a maverick. I'm unbranded. I can come into your business. I care about results. I look at not only the return on investment financially, but also emotionally, because I know that that's how people buy into things yes. is like, how will this make your life better? So that's what I spend a lot of my time doing now. I help people sell more things that make people's lives better. And that happens traditionally with eight to 10 figure companies. But I also really have a deep lens on caring for the individual and helping people succeed as well. Yeah. And listen, you know, it's it's interesting because I'm a big believer in the fact, and I've talked about this on the, on this podcast, that, you know, our own personal growth and development as entrepreneurs, as, as leaders, as the executive team, right, is crucial and can become a limiting factor in the ability of your company to be successful and grow. And I think mm -hmm. that doesn't totally disappear in huge companies. Obviously, it gets, you know, it's less tied to any individual as you get into bigger and bigger companies, but still... You know, in my mind, and and you know, I'm just this is interesting to me, and you know, even though it may not yet tie directly to deals, but we'll get there. I still think it plays out because leadership sets the tone, and right, whatever the stage of personal yeah. growth or consciousness or you know, leadership development or whatever it is that they're in, they set it, and that helps create the culture within a, within a bigger company, and that does affect mm -hmm. everything that goes on, right? I mean, so I think the two aspects of what you do, that personal growth side of it and the disruptive, you know, uh, maverick consulting, I don't know how they could be separate, although I think most people would look at those as two very different things. Yeah, there's been a natural tendency, just like they used to say, well, you can't talk about politics you know, at your job. 
Remember those days? You can't talk about religion at your job. Now the, the world, since the internet and really the inception of that kind of culminating people's attention, there is no separation anymore. So it's like everything that you experience personally, just like our old friend, Jim Rohn, you know, that he talked about and, and the, in the balance of like, if you want to be better at what you do and your work, like just work twice as hard on yourself and those things will overflow because I've, I've also learned that the companies I work with and the larger that they get and or culture, the more important the culture is, the more important the leadership quality is of the person coming in. So leadership and then the support to the team. And then of course the strategy or the things that they're looking for, it's not isolated just to, Hey, can you, you know, handle this one area of uh, expertise or a, a specialty, you know, tactical or technical role. It's, can you actually lead us to the outcome that we're looking for? Mm. And that takes the personal and also the professional grit on both sides. And it takes a lot more int emotional intelligence in a room now to do it. And, and I even like will barter that like spiritual intelligence is starting to become really important, meaning intuition. Like, have you played this movie in your head before? Like, what do you know? What are you feeling? What are you sensing about this decision? And I think that that starts crossing over just like kings used to have like fortune tellers and prophets at their table. There's an importance to having people who might see something a little bit differently than you do for the sake of an advancement or protection. So they are absolutely one in the same. And just like I would ask my wife, if I'm investing in a deal or an opportunity, I would say, you know, I know that you're on the outside of this, but what are you sensing about it? What are you feeling? Is there anything coming up for you? It's a valuable, valuable question. Yeah. Love that. All right. So let's listen to this podcast and you're aware that, you know, we make a distinction between some salespeople call, you know, their sales deals. And I'm not like judging that. It's just those aren't the kind of deals we talk about, right? Sales, <laughs> yeah. sales, is, a, sales is on organic growth, right? Uh, sales and marketing. The focus of this podcast is on the inorganic growth side, the deal-driven growth side. But there's something that's, you know, that's common. And I sort of like, for me, it's a bridge. Like we've talked about a little bit about the individual and our personal growth and how we impact leadership and, and culture in a company. But one thing I know that you're really big on is relationships. And that applies on the sales side, right? You know, there's all kinds of relationship selling, right? As opposed to transactional selling, whatever. But that's a thing that crosses over, right? To the deal side as well. So let's talk a little bit about that. And, you know, and if you want to talk about it generally, or, or I know we're going to jump into how that applies in personal branding deals that you can do, but uh, talk about the relationship part of it. Yeah. You know, I had a, a business coach who I've been working with for seven years. His name is Mike Kim. And he wrote the book, You Are the Brand, right? So really central to a core process around personal branding, which is how to have a highly profitable, highly fulfilling business that's really centered around your expertise and your reputation. And one of the things that he taught me was that marketing was about opening a relationship, not closing us out, right? And so for me coming in, I was never a direct response type of marketer in my very, very early days. Listen, my dad was, you know, a drug dealer to met Jesus. Okay. So I grew up in transformational leadership because my dad ran a nonprofit. But as that transitioned over and into time, what I started seeing was the importance of highly valuable networks and also the people who, you know, my dad still has the same relationships and they, he's grown all those relationships as well. But the same one he's had since he was, you know, five, seven years old. The, I've witnessed this again personally and how it's pulled in professionally is the value of understanding that the more transactional, like the matrix becomes. And what I mean by that is like, I'm LinkedIn, you get those messages every day of like, Hey, you want me to help you get more? The more the world becomes transactional and misses 
what my stepdad taught me, which is on Fridays at three o'clock, you go through all your clients and you call every single one of them and you tell them to have a great weekend. Those old school principles are going nowhere. In fact, they're becoming that much more important, especially if you want partner-based deals, not just to close the sale so you get your quota for the month. The world is really over that type of transactional activity and behavior. So coming from a guy who just turned 35 years old, let me just tell the OGs out there, like I feel you and I get it and I'm with you and I understand the value of this on the on the relationship side. I think people, you know, find themselves burning opportunities and burning bridges because they're just short-sighted. They don't understand the long game of how the world works. Mm. So that's why I love personal branding because it is about reputation. And whether you're selling shoes today and you're selling courses tomorrow, like the people who bought your shoes that they didn't like are definitely not going to buy your course now. And it's that much more important to to be somebody of high integrity and somebody who's inspiring and can, can lead the charge in whatever their big idea is. Yeah. Love that. So on, I know on the personal branding side, you have a seven-step process. And, mm-hmm. you know, in, in our off-air conversations, we've talked about how step seven is really the one that is mm-hmm. deal-related. So, you know, I don't know that we need to go th- through all seven steps, but if you want to mention any of them before you get to it, but let's, you know, we'll, yeah. but we'll build, we'll build to number seven. Yeah. I'll <laughs> mention, I'll mention them quickly just so that, yeah. just so that the, the tie-in makes sense, you know? So the first step of building a Again, this is all around building a you know, seven steps of building a personal brand. And this is people who want to have a highly fulfilling, highly profitable reputation run business. Okay. So experts, thought leaders, speakers, coaches, consultants, it kind of falls into that category, even investors as well. It definitely can lead into as well. But here's the, here's the concept. The first thing starts with your personal story. Mm-hmm. And you guys will notice that I mentioned some things early on about my story. I threw in some things about my dad. So those of you who like, would really jam with that concept on the human behavior side and go, oh, I grew up the same way. I share those values. Immediately, there's going to be a form of attraction, which by the way, the best partners that you're going to have are people who come from the cloth that you were cut from. A lot of times, somebody who gets you on a foundational psychographic human behavior level, not just somebody who can you know, get you a bunch of deals where you close a bunch of deals and at the end of the day, the relationship's fractured. You figure out they're a con man. Why? Because that ends up impacting your brand as well. Yeah. So the sensitivity around it, what's our point of connection is absolutely the first step. So that's why the personal story is really important. If you tell it, you'll attract people who have a likeness in your value system. Number two is platform. This is just like platforms, podcasts, TikTok, LinkedIn. It's kind of like, where are you building your brand? Where are the virtual stages where you're spending time? Yep. Number three is positioning, how you position yourself in the market, just like you read my bio earlier. Four is product. So it's, what are you selling? Number five is the price. Number six is the pitch. Number seven are the partners. Now, here's the best part about this. You cannot find partners to help you position your products, to sell it to their audience, to price it accordingly, to get the best affiliate deal ops, to pitch it to, in a way that's going to convert to be worth everybody's time. The order of these are extremely important. That's why I end with partners, because relationships are rocket ships. But anything that you scale, if it's broken, guess what? You're going to scale what's broken about that offer. And then that's going to lead to fracture in relationship because we all know that, that at the end of the day, the consequence of a failed expectation is disappointment. The last thing that your partners ever want to experience, I've seen it running you know, partner marketing programs and Fortune 500 companies all the way down to doing my own JVs with people who are you know, buying my products and the friends of friends who do the same. So- yeah, man, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Those are the seven steps. 
I love it. So before I delve into the seventh step a little more and talk about what these kind of partnerships are, I want to talk about, as listeners know on this on this podcast views, I, I, I very often come back to mindset because I, I don't care what information you learn on top of it. If the mindset isn't there, you're going to be limited. So one of the things I often raise is that there are so many folks out there that don't do partnerships, whether they're strategic alliances or joint ventures or affiliate deals or whatever we call them, right? You know, some sort of partnership deal. And, you know, they're banging their heads against the wall to get into a new market, to to launch a new product, to get into a new geography, to hit a, a specific vertical, right? And there are people who have access to that. And I asked them that simple question, have you thought about whoever really has access to that industry, that vertical, that market, that geography, that whatever? Mm. And so often the answer is no. So I'm curious because you have this great combination of the seven-step process and the consulting you do and the disruptive consulting you do in big companies and this personal growth, spiritual growth side of things. What do you think it is about people's mindset? Like we're not even at the point of getting partnership deals done, but even putting it on the table as mm-hmm. a way to grow. Because I and 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 you could, you know, tell me if your experience is different, but I find so many fewer entrepreneurs and company leaders do that. Like the ones that do it, do it. They really get it and they do it and they do it a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's a bunch that don't do it at all. And I'm like looking over there, like what, you know, so any case, <laughs> your response. <laughs> I, I think that people have a visceral internal response to asking for help. Yeah. At the end of the day, man, I think, and then that, again, that covers like, that's the all encompassing truth because when we have to ask for help, a lot of times our assumption is that th- that request is coming from a place of lack, mm. uh, of need, of, of a place of being at a disadvantage. Like you're, you know, asking for help in the middle of the game because you don't know what to do, which could, oh my God, make your intellect questionable. No, when we don't ask for help, we rob someone else of the opportunity to co-create with us. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the cardinal sin of relationships or rocket ships is that you make it all about yourself. It's, it's isolation and it's burnout and it's being in a place of where you're overwhelmed and you're frustrated and you're bitter and you're questioning what the heck needs to happen in order for me to reach the next level, in order for me to grow my revenue, break through the next market. Dude, I haven't built one of my businesses out of the four that I founded, not one of them outside of finding the key partner as one of the primary steps. As soon as I figured out what the heck I was doing, the, the next thing that I did, I was just like, okay, setting my intention today of who can I help and who can help me with what I want. Then I prioritize and do it now. I never had to ask why, why wasn't I doing it? Or why am I here? What's my purpose? It's like, my purpose is my existence. I am my purpose. But on a deeper level, I had to have the humility and also the ability to be a conduit. So those who aren't watching on video, I'm holding my hands in front of me going like in one hand, I have the ability to give something great like lessons or opportunity or creativity or problems and solutions. And then the other hand, I have the ability to receive. Yeah. And our relationship with asking and our, our relationship with receiving, I've just learned how to say thank you. So when someone says, Hey, I want to do this with you. Or when they say, yeah, I'm willing to do it. I just say, wow, thank you. That's so meaningful. And I appreciate that so much. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it has me thinking about your six steps leading up to the seventh the people on doing authority marketing. So, because if you do those six steps, then when you approach a partner, you're not approaching them just out of need and asking for some, you know, charity or whatever it is, right? 
you have a value prop that you're now pitching them, right? Because you've done mm-hmm. the work, right? And 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 we all, you know, and the best deals are obviously going to be the the, the partners going to get something out of it. So, you know, in my mind, it's just you know, it's interesting natural tie-in to say, hey, no, I mean, listen, it's no different. I mean, you know, we're willing to pay money to people, you know, to to do mm-hmm. something for us, right? That's just one form of exchange of value. You know, in some sort of strategic alliance, joint venture, or affiliate relationship, there's there's an exchange of value as well, right? Yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, if you if you're really great at what you do and you're really clear on your offer, and I think this is where most people overlook the opportunity is revisiting the offer for the context, right? Context is so so important. Hyper personalization. If you, you know, I had a guy I was talking to you earlier today, and he's like, you know, we help adults with who have childhood trauma. And, and I'm like, this is great. It was a podcast and stuff. We were talking about things around, you know, how the brain works and all these other things, human behavior. But what was interesting was I love the simplicity of what he said. Now, if he's going to go do that inside of a specific category, industry, horizontal and or vertical lens, he might have to say like, you know, we help military veterans who've had childhood trauma. Like you sometimes have to actually mold and position the uniqueness of what you do just take that one or two days to do it, to adjust it to that market and be prepared going into that partner conversation, because that's their ability to come back and say, thank you for doing the work ahead of time. Generosity always wins. Like if you took the time and your character represents as someone who's like, Hey, I'm going to go first. And I want to make sure that whatever I present to you, that I'm gave it my all. And I really was thoughtful. And I had a lot of intent. What do you think that other person's going to do? You're going to guilt them into saying yes to being a partner for you because you were adaptive, because you can not only help them, but help their audience. Everybody's got to win in partner deals. And I think that that's where it's just like, it becomes this monotonous thing. Listen, here's the deal. And this is what I learned in my life. It's been really, really valuable. If I am not basically turned on by whatever project, company, uh, problem that I'm solving, whatever I'm doing, I say, no, it's got to be a 10 out of 10. And when it's a 10 out of 10, like watch out, like there's zero unstoppable behavior. And that's what's so important to the partner. So that's the way that I view it is like, if you're going to ask someone to be a partner, you're asking them to co-create with you. There's going to be nights that they're spending away from their kids in order to develop a big idea with you. If you're in a startup or, you know, you're not in some fortune 500 company, but at the end of the day, the uniqueness of those relationships, you carry them with you everywhere. They're the most prized possession in business are the partners that you have. Yeah. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreykupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreykupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. All right. So let's talk about what these partnerships look like, because uh, listen, there's probably a lot of people, a lot of our listeners who understand authority marketing. It's become more known. I talk about it because it's it's been a shift. I mean, you know, for for, for decades, I, I I built my firm the old fashioned way, right? You know, networking, yeah. referrals, you know, you know, doing great work for the centers of influence. You know, you know, making that Friday call, that lunch or that playing golf when I used to play golf, whatever it was. And and then, you know, and then I started doing some speaking. And then, but then I then I actually studied this authority marketing model. And I'm like, wait a second. I, you know, the things that have always frustrated me is that I want to be able to stay top of mind in a better way because I have great mm-hmm. relationships. But the truth is, 
you know, people may know a few people who do what I do. And if, if, you know, if they, in the moment we're all busy and, you know, mm-hmm. if the last guy, you know, they, they, they happen to see, you know, was top of mind, you know, then they'll get the referral because listen, we're very good. Sure. At what we do. We're not the only one. Right. So always stay top, you know, top of mind more. And then also more established, you know, brand and expertise, right. You know, you know, as, as a go-to person in certain areas, right. Around deals. That's why I have a deal quest podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. In the in the financial services space. So we have specific things in the investment advisor space where we've created a brand that people know where to go to there, right? But that's only been in the last five, six years that I've done that. Mm-hmm. So any case, I you know, I had to learn it. So uh so let's make a distinction because a lot of people when they think about these online affiliate deals, influence, you know, anything in the influencer deals, yeah. category, whatever, they think about the big celebrities who are getting paid to, you know. Uh, you know, for product plays, you know, to, you know, do whatever they make money off brands because they wear their sweater or hat or basketball cap mm-hmm. or use their perfume or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Uh, it works uh, well. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said it, 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 it works well. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Yeah, it works really well. Oh, yeah. Right. But, you know, we're talking about more, we're, we're not mainly talking about those people, right. We're talking about what people like me, you know, professionals, experts, leaders, yeah, you yeah. know, entrepreneurs. Absolutely. So what are these deals? What are these quote unquote partnership deals look like? What are the opportunities out there for folks in the authority marketing space, whether a, a speaker, a coach, a consultant, an entrepreneur, or professional, whatever it is? I'm going to go by percentage-based points, okay? And I'm going to kind of move my way up. So it's yep. the way that my mind works. I'm like, I need something to, it's like rock climbing. I need the next rock to climb as you go. Yeah, yeah. So if you're looking at like, a, let's just say it's like a 10%, right? And I'll just tell you guys my favorite ones to do, because I think that those would probably be the most relevant. One of the ones that I love to do, if you're looking at like, just going on like a 10% partnership, that really comes down to how well you build a community. Okay. So this is the outside of the ring and a 10% partnership is just like, Hey, let's just say I have a, a Facebook group where I run masterminds or I'm part of a unique affiliation, but I'm actually the one who brought all the people together and they come on a rather consistent basis. Yeah. What I'll end up saying is a lot of people ask like, Hey, I met Jim, you know, they'll call me up. Hey, I met Jim and I, I want to do a deal with them, but like he's in your community and we, you and I actually do a part of the similar thing. Like, is it okay if I work with them? Those people, by the way, have insane integrity and I love them to death when they do that. But here's what I ended up starting to create was what's called like an overlap deal. So what would happen is if people within my community wanted to do business with each other, I would actually promote it. I would actually suggest it. And I was a lot more free in my ability to not feel like, well, I got to work with everybody because truthfully, I'm such a great facilitator and I'm great at gathering people. I don't really have time to do a lot of filming anymore. So yeah. I'd rather create ops where wherever there's crossovers where people can just say thank you and it's the honor system. So it's a 10% overlap deal. If someone meets someone in my community, then I just say, hey, you're going to sign this doc. It's an honorary document. It's not legally binding. And I'm just going to ask you to do the right thing. And by the way, you got a lot of really good people in your network. And by the way, when they then pay you on that, then you really know who your allies are. Yeah. So you're solving future problems by doing that and that overlap deal in like multiple categories. But I think it's a great way to understand who your potential partners are in the long run versus who are the people there just to capitalize that will play by the rules. And then yeah. of course, who does it at all? And that kick those people out. So that's the first one. The second one, and let's just kind of stay within that context. The second one for people who have a, like building a personal brand, you're always going to have a community or like it's your audience, right? So the second layer, like a 20% deal would be like, let's say that I'm working with my buddy, Rob, right? Rob is my financial advisor. And Larry comes to me and says, Hey, do you have any financial advisor you work with? And I say, yeah, I work with Rob. I'm going to send you guys an email. 
I'm going to connect you both and you just need to work with him. This is one of the most overlooked things because if you're a thought leader, an expert, a coach, a consultant, if you're in that category of thought leadership and you're truly an expert, you have a big audience, you have a lot of expertise. If you're that person, then there's opportunities where people are just going to do whatever you say. They're coming to you for the answers anyway. So when you're like, hey, even if it's in a book that you're writing, you're like, hey, if you want to do this, then go talk to this person. You need to hire this person. Those deals can come at 20%. So, I mean, I've done six-figure deals in communities that I'm a part of that follow the same principle. And all of a sudden, the guy's sitting there and one day, he's just going to get a $20,000 check that pops on his desk. Again, it's about doing business the right way. And it's truly in, embedded in the way of doing business with the right people and not just the outcomes that they can get you. All right, 30%. 30% a lot of times will find its way in affiliate deals if I want to promote other people's events, products, uh, systems, methodologies, courses, webinars, whatever it is, even their books as well, into my community. So typically, a good starting point for an affiliate deal will be around 30%. And that doesn't matter if you're you know, looking to promote products that are in your YouTube description about you know the type of camera that you use for video, uh, or if it's somebody who is part of your network and you really value them and they're launching their first mastermind and they're like, hey, I'm gonna charge a thousand bucks a month, so I'm gonna pay you a retainer over the next year, 300 bucks a month if you can help anybody from your community enroll. These are great, great deals. And uh, it's a great way, of course, to have that bilateral opportunity because when you need the same thing from them, you end up having these partners you know you can count on. All right, I'm going to go to the next one, 40%. 40% as uh, this one can also kind of line up at like 50%. So I'm going to kind of blend these ones together. But 40 to 50% is typically if you're doing a joint venture. Now, I know classically that's you like cut down right down the middle. But I look at this as sometimes like what I've seen in mastermind groups that I'll run. Somebody's like, hey, I'll bring all the people. And if you want to use your methodology and your teaching and training, that's where you can kind of buffer. 60-40 or 50-50. And I don't really like to go beyond those limits. So if yeah. you're doing anything in the co-creative measure with somebody else, sometimes you don't want to do all the heavy lifting. So you're willing to part with 10%. Sometimes you're actually in the other scenario where you're like, I have time and space and opportunity, whether it's a live event. It could be a live event. It could be a mastermind. It could be products and services, teaching, workshops. I've done plenty of those deals as well. So that's kind of where I see it. It always blends into the concept, of course, of this, this blend of like expertise and community. And, you know, if you're building a personal brand, those are the first two things that you need to have are high expertise and a great community of people. Yeah. And listen, one, one of the ways to build that, right, is to, is to leverage other people's bigger communities than you. But that raises, going back to that question, you know, or that topic we talked about, about doing the work to make sure you have a value proposition because, you know, the, the most successful folks who have big communities, two things. One is they're getting hit up all the time. All the time. Right? All the time. And number two is the smart ones, at least, and most of them are, are very protective of their community because they, you know, I mean, they, they should be vetting what they're allowing in to their community, what, you know, mm -hmm. that it's consistent with their brand that, and also that, you know, it's quality people and all kind of stuff because it could hurt, it could hurt them. So, you know, so, so making sure that you have something to offer that bigger player is, is absolutely crucial in having a real, a real deal. Yeah, it, it is, man. It's, and it's also some of the, the, some of the OGs of the industry, the original gangsters, right. That I've learned from, they've said to me too, like, sometimes like you want to hold your ass. 
Like one of my uh, personal branding coaches and, and he's worked with John Maxwell and, you know, John Maxwell, he's worked with Todd Herman, who's works with the NFL. He works with Michael Hyatt. I mean, a lot of really, really big names. And um, he said, when I launched my first book, I'm not going to ask anyone for anything for like two years. Then when I launched my first book, I'm going to ask all of them to show up for me. And so there is some really smart strategy around timing with your partnerships. It's not just about the people, but sometimes it's around the purpose of it or the timing and launching a book and also building that network with people who don't do exactly what you do. You know, John Maxwell is in leadership, you know, Michael Hyatt's in, you know, now really in, in kind of like the, he does a lot of journals, but mostly in the financial space. So they're not in the marketing space of personal branding. So you build allies who comp who are complementary to what you do. And sometimes you'll get lucky. You might launch something if you're, you know, a marketer who does paid advertising, you might do something with another specialist who's a great copywriter. So it's just widening your network. That's why it's so important to not burn the bridge and just look for the once-off opportunity. I think people are a lot more willing to help others when we, you know, approach with humility and it's honorable and we save our ass for the right time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, you know, going back maybe to that more internal work and mindset conversation obviously brings up, you know, you mentioned a couple of years curating before you make an ask on the book. I mean, the word patience comes up, right? And yeah. unfortunately, you know, some folks aren't that patient. Yeah, no, it's very true. I mean, patience is, it's unique. It requires planning. And, and I learned from my business coach, he brings in a lot of cultural references and because he's Korean. So, you know, I didn't grow up the same way that he grew up and his unique experiences and the books that he read as a kid and the ones he studied as an adult from his culture are very different. And so it's a lot of, a lot of it's about precision. You know, he's like, dude, your mom didn't do what my mom did if I didn't get a certain grade on a test. Right. And he talks about this very openly. He talks about in his book as well, but it's a, it's a unique thing that I learned about, which is the value of patience and precision. It's the year of the podcast. It's the year of the book. And I'm like, dude, a whole year, <laughs> like just to do your podcast. And I look back and he became one of the most influential people in this entire industry. And it only took him about three years mm. of intense focus with laser precision and the consistency where you have that long battery of patience to go like, I know that if I focus on this, I know what the next step is and what's coming. And I honor about that about him so much. I'm a little bit more of a gunslinger than that. I think that plays to my advantage in other ways. But at the same time, I deeply value some of those unique uh, conversations and experiences that can help us do what we do better. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's interesting to me. I mean, I, I was just thinking that's probably a good counterbalance as, as a coach for you, right? Because it, it, it just takes that, that, that energy of the gunslinger energy and yeah, at least brings it <laughs> an alternative viewpoint that you can consider. And, it does. Uh, you know. <laughs> it does. It does. You know, I always have, um, came from the thought that, you know, the way that you overcome resistance is through speed. Yeah. So isn't that interesting, right? Like our point of reference, whether it's our upbringing, whether it's our unique experiences, whether it's our culture, it doesn't matter, but there's always differences in understanding, like ideas around throttle, ideas around patience, ideas around, around speed, and then to not over condition, but to find what that balance is. Just like you said, it's, it's so wise. I love that. Yeah. listen, speed's awesome in some places, right? It's a, I, I think, I think for, for me and, and in the, a lot of personal growth, I've worked, I've done everything from I love Bob Proctor's work around paradigms and how all this stuff, mm -hmm. you know, most of what we do is unconscious now we, and that's why it's so hard to change. And there's some other personal growth work I've done and, and, and all in this area. There's nothing like patience is called for sometimes, speed is called for sometimes, 
It's just that most of us have a default way of being based on the way we were brought up and culture and whatever it is, right? So if we're always doing speed, you know, unconsciously, or if we're always doing patient unconsciously, the speed's going to run us into trouble sometimes. The patient's going to run us into something, maybe have us miss opportunities. Whereas if we have a distinction of speed and and patience, right, and then we can mm. actually make a choice in a given situation on whatever the best tool is to oversimplify between speed and patience as opposed to having that default of whatever it is that's, sub, uh, you know, unconscious or subconscious for us. That's what that's where we have power because then it becomes a tool as opposed to as opposed to running us. So yeah, yeah, that's really really good. Yeah, it's like click the app. Don't just let the operating system just turn on. Uh, exactly. Open exactly. that login. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So so what what do you see in terms of these partnerships, right? And 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 choosing the right partners and and where people have uh, you know then successfully where people have made mistakes. Talk us a little bit about that. What you've seen in in terms of those yeah. kind of choices. I'm going to bring a very unique angle to this part of the conversation because it's depth on a, a lens of psychographics, which is why I'm brilliant at marketing. That's why a lot of the biggest companies in the world hired me was they were like, you chose to do it a different way because I wasn't focusing on direct response, the right magic words to insert at the right time. I was obsessed with behavior, the psychology, the values. I'm going to take it one step further for this conversation, which are the virtues. Mm. I look for golden virtues that I can align with any time that I'm selecting a partner, I'm going to tell everybody exactly what they are. Mm. I believe that in the split of virtues that I live my life by, so I kind of know whenever at the end of the day, when everything's reduced, if we see these things, the thing, then I know that I can work with these people. On the left-hand side, basically in this visual, we have what's called red light experiences or emotions, which are really dialed into criticism, comparison, or judgment. Mm right? And so criticism, comparison, or judgment. I look for these things when someone talks. Are you criticizing not only other people, are you criticizing yourself? Oh yeah. Are you comparing yourself and or other ideas or things in a way that is not creating a benefit, but creating discourse? Or lastly, are you passing judgment? Are you, do you lack compassionate curiosity? Because if you do, it's going to show up in the way that we work together, right? This is like my ultimate binding agreement is looking at these things. So in the opposition category, right? I have the opposing virtues, which are criticism, comparison, and judgment. On the other side, I have truth, honesty, and integrity. Mm. Those are my green light emotions. Those are the yeah. green light experiences that I want. If something went haywire, are you going to be truthful with me? Are you going to tell me the truth? Just straight up, are you going to tell me the truth? The part about honesty has to do with like, are you being honest about reality? <laughs> are you being like in the here and now? And lastly, the integrity part, you know, the way I look at that is just, are you doing the right thing when nobody's looking? Mm -hmm. Like if someone, someone comes and does their inspection route, like, are they going to come and see that you've been doing the right thing? If there was a hidden camera in the room and you didn't know it was there, would you do the right thing? Or would you bad about me or somebody else or right? Or go into the criticism, comparison, judgment. And so I just have chosen to live my life by these virtues. And it took a lot of work to figure these out because it's how my relationships show up everywhere. I use these same virtues with my friends, with my family, with my partners, with my clients, and they've just proven to be the North Star. And yeah, so it's incredibly meaningful. And I, I learned that from a Dallas monk who uh, spent 45 years as, as a psychologist. And I would say it's a two-hour conversation that changed my life wow. because he gave me incredible insight into deep personal responsibility, but also how to live an inspired life in spirit. 
And that's been a really, really powerful revelation for me that I've carried with me since that time. I, I love that framework. I love the three things on each side. And it's interesting because, you know, as lawyers, investment bankers, accountants talk about doing due diligence, and obviously you can do legal, financial, and due diligence. There's a lot of talk now even about cultural due diligence. This is another angle on it, right? Like it's it's mm-hmm. really values, you know, right? Diligence, right? Which I think is absolutely the deepest cut, you know, on all of it. And, you know, what came, you know, as I was listening to that, because I haven't, you know, it's the first time I've heard, I've heard that. I'm thinking to myself, okay, somebody's out there is going to say, well, how do I determine those things? And the first answer that came to me was, well, one of the reasons why a lot of people are thinking, well, how can I possibly determine those things is because they're not thinking about building that two-year relationship, right? Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. If you and I I meet and I'm looking to sell you something or do a transaction or convince you to invest in my company, whatever it is that we just met, it's going to be, you know, I mean, you can get Mm -hmm. maybe a sense, but it's going to be impossible to know whether those values are there or not. So, you know, those things (laughs) tie together, right? Uh, You know. They do, you know, even when I ran, like one of my companies was, was a digital marketing agency. And so I had enrollment in my enrollment process, they'd have to fill an application. And it wasn't just questions around like, how big's your list? You know, what are your products? Tell us more about you know, this. What was your revenue last year? Those things are important. But the things that really actually mattered was for me to understand when I'd ask the question of like, what, you know, how do you view the world? Hmm. Because I'm so curious, because to me, those are the things like, again, it's what are, what are we, what's the common denominator that we're all reduced by in our humanity, which when, you know, the toothpaste bottle gets squeezed, what comes out? If you're an investor, you're going to want to know if you're running a business and you got people counting on you, team members, family, investors, you know, partners, you want to know if that thing gets squeezed, what comes out? And so how do you view the world? Is it a place that's scarce and broken or is it the land of opportunity? And there's so much abundance and that you just want to play your part in helping humanity. It's a very different question than 99.9% of people w- would answer, but I gave everybody fair warning at the beginning. I don't even see a box, therefore I exist within the ether. <laughs> so those are the questions that I want the answers to, because I believe that those are the things that are the guiding principles in my life. And by the way, I tell people, if that sounds too blue and too crazy to you, then listen, we're just not going to jam. Like I'd rather know that now. Uh, than than not in the future. And so, but what I'm learning, by the way, is that 99.5% of people really respect and value the idea that depth in relationships still has its holding and still has deep, you know, meaning in the world. And, you know, and those are the types of people that I jam with and we do really epic things together. I've always said, you cannot do epic things with basic people, basic mindsets, basic beliefs, basic stories. No, I want to, you know, go all out. You know, I want to live a life of deep being before I come and make my way back to the earth again. So, <laughs> so that's it, man. That's like, that's my heart. And, and I really want to make a meaningful contribution to the world. I want to help other people who are doing the same. Yeah. And, and, and I love that because, you know, one of the things that I, I've talked about in various other contexts is like, I talk about this in terms of building a, a model, like, for example, when we work with companies that want to do acquisitions, right? They want to go to acquisition. Yeah. We talk about well, you want to build a model, right? You don't just do a deal here, a deal there with all different, of course. right? Before you even get a deal structure, you want to build a model. Like what is your what is your premise? What is your approach? Who are you trying to target? What do you want? What are you trying to achieve? What's your why, right? Ultimately, and you build a model around that, then you have a deal structure within it. Then you have a value proposition for that model. And the great part about that is not only does it attract the people who that model appeals to and that value prop appeals to, but it also repels the people who, which is at least equally important and maybe even <laughs> yeah. more important because uh, yeah. you don't waste time with all the people who are not 
And this, you know, you could say the same thing about this at a much deeper level, right? People don't align with those values and, and you're really vetting for them and out there, then not only are you going to not only attract, but also connect more deeply with the folks that you do, but you're also, especially on a values level, it becomes very uncomfortable for people who can't align with those values to be in, in space like that. Exactly. So they tend to opt out. Very quickly. And what, what do you know will happen in the opt out? Comparison, criticism, and judgment. Yeah. Literally, the disqualification process itself showcases the lack of alignment. And that's why in my, a lot of my personal like development work that I do with folks and, and also within companies is focusing on some of these virtues because then we can lead it back to like, do you want, you know, your team criticizing, comparing and judging one another? It's like, no, there's so, I can teach my kids these principles who are seven, five, three, and one years old. And in addition, I can talk about them and, and I have, you know, guys who have been in the personal development and or organizational development business and they're in their eighties and they said, wow, that simplicity is really powerful. And I always say, yes, it's a part of my truth, but I got it from my, my buddy, David Lee James. So <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, it could apply all areas of life, but certainly it is a phenomenal, you know, almost to say it's, it's due diligence or a vetting process is, is, is not even close to giving it justice, right? It's a, you know, yeah. I mean, it's a core filter through which you know, you can judge who, you know, who, or not judge probably be a word, or you can determine who, who are the right partners. And, you know, then of course those partnerships are going to be much more long lasting and successful and fulfilling and fun. Right. You know, I mean, it's so true. Yeah. Love it. Mm -hmm. Love it. Great stuff. Listen, man, we can, we have so many intersecting and overlapping approaches and beliefs and commitment to, you know, co combining the the hardcore business with the personal growth, you know, stuff. Yes, so we can talk forever, but we're coming to the end of our time here. So before I ask you my final question, what's the best place people find out more about all this great stuff you do for people and companies? Yeah. So anywhere on social media, you can just look up my name, Nick Cavuto. It's N-I-C-K-C-A-V as in victory, U-O-T-O. And that's also nickcavuto.com. And yeah. I'm, I'm everywhere online, so that shouldn't be an issue. Just don't type in Neil because yeah, I have no relation. Although I've come up on his searches and people yell at me in Twitter a lot because of him. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. All right. And so talking about values, talking about, you know, of course, I always end the podcast with the same question, and that, which is about my highest value, my highest, most important thing for me and is, is freedom. My highest value in life is freedom. And that is, means for me, everything from freedom from all people around the world, from oppression to why I've been an entrepreneur for decades and haven't had a boss. What does freedom mean to you and how does it impact your life and business? Freedom to me is synonymous with redemption. Mm. I've noticed I've done a lot of training in content development and story arcs and understanding people's individual stories. The first thing I ever did professionally was I was a filmmaker, right? So I would go back to these things that you can, there's just so many angles. But the concept is like, we all experience something normal in our lives where life is just normal, just is the way that it is. And there's some inciting event or like what I like to call an explosion that happens in our lives. And, you know, as an example, when I lost a million dollars in two days from COVID and running some of these newer businesses that were just getting started and having to figure that out, it's like, what was normal before that? It was like, life was easy, you know, like. With having a couple hundred thousand dollars a month in, in profitability in my companies, and I had to think about anything. And then all of a sudden, a major fracture happened that really made me rethink how I was doing life. Now, most people stop in the chasm between normal and explosion. Mm. And they stop there. 
and they're missing the liberation, be it the freedom of what redemption is. Redemption becomes the new normal in someone's story and their human experience, or even in their business or their outlook, their, pers- their perspective, their relationships, their partnerships. What is a redemption? And I think that I'm just feeling led to tell the person who's had a bad partner deal go sour, who's had someone who maybe has like gutted their business from the inside out or some bad thing happened within investing in a partnership or in a relationship. Redemption is on the other side. You cannot have the freedom in your business that you want without the redeeming qualities of saying yes again, of trusting again, of asking for help again when it comes to the angle of partnerships. Because like I've said, in building four different companies and investing in other companies and working with some of the most prominent people in business, partnerships is always the first gateway to creating massive success in your business. And it has to be done right. And thank you, Corey, for being the one who's championing this conversation because so many people's lives are more meaningful and have deeper opportunity and impact because of you. So I want to say thank you, my friend, big love to you and certainly appreciate the work that you're doing. Nick, I, I appreciate you saying that. And, and listen, man, I appreciate you coming on the podcast and, 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 and I love the work you're doing and the impact you have. And, and listen, you and I, you said it, my listeners know that, you know, it's all, it's about service and impact. You know, I mean, every, right. every, and the truth is if you provide value to people and, and you're really committed to service, you build those relationships, everything else around that, including the financial reward comes. So in any case, I've, I've loved our conversation and I really appreciate you being such a great guest on the Deal Quest podcast. Thank you, Matt. Much love. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.